So Ken Schlechter, welcome to the Globecast. How are you this morning? Terrific. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my pleasure, of course. So, um, so interested in hearing from you today. You know, you have such an interesting career path. Can you kind of just walk me through a little bit of uh, your career and then we'll, we'll really get into this? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I've been actually in the financial services industry for, believe it or not, a little over 34 years, which is a little hard to comprehend when I hear that number. <laughs> um, I started at, actually out of college as a controller. I was doing finance stuff. I was working for Morgan Stanley and, you know, balancing books and doing management reporting. Um, and throughout my career, I've really been at three essential companies my, my, most of my career. Morgan Stanley for about 12 years, the Blackstone Group for about 11, and then Credit Suisse for about eight and a half, nine years. I got my MBA at, uh, in finance in the early 90s at Fordham, because that was the thing to do back then. Right. Make sure, as, as my dad would say, get that other piece of paper. And then really, in the, in the early to mid-90s, I started reinventing myself around project and change management. It seemed to fit me better. It seemed things like having a transferable skill set for the long run. Uh, I really enjoyed um, influencing without authority, where no one works for you, but you need to rally the troops. I loved getting people to work together, um, helping people adapt to change, because that's something that human nature really doesn't permit people to do easily. Um, I love listening and just hearing people what they have to say. And applying all those soft skills that you learn over the years that uh, when you're 25, you don't have, and you have a little more when you're 35. And as you get older, you, you accumulate that. Um, I'm an extremely organized person. So that fell into it also. And I just love the ownership and accountability of things. Um, I, after that, um, probably around 2000, 2000, 2010, 2011, I, I entered another passion of mine, teaching. Uh, and I became an adjunct professor at both NYU and the University of Dayton. And I started... Um, uh, teaching ethics and organizational behavior. Uh, and that even further cemented my, my love of what we're going to talk about. Um, and then in, in the fall of 2019, I said, you know what? My job was being moved to another location. I didn't really want to move. And I said, you know what? I think this is a good opportunity for me to hang up my own shingle. So I started Kenneth Michael Consulting Services in the fall of 2019 to use my experience to assist companies I wanted to be a little more selective in both the company uh, that I worked for, but also the people I work for. I wanted to start working with more like-minded people or, or people who would be open to change. So that, that's where I am now. And I've been working with a, a number of different clients since then. Very, very cool. So, so really finance focused career, um, definitely financial services is where you started and, and where you where you still sort of are, right? I mean, you're still working with your, your clients today or? Financial? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Right right now, I'm actually working with a, a payment processing company based in Pennsylvania, but it's it's really, it's still that financial services is bent to it. So, so, so interesting. I'm really, uh, I know you first and foremost as, you know, the ethics guy, right? And, you know, that's, that's so much of what you talk about. What, what triggered that in your professional life, you know? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. So ever since I was young, um, I was always taught to teach, uh, to treat people with respect and dignity, something that my father instilled in all of us. And it was always something that 
really uh, resonated with me. And then I started my career in the mid 80s, mid to late 80s and into the 90s. I saw that behavior and how you treated people in the workplace was an afterthought. It was very Machiavellian, the end justifies the means. Mm. Um, and the people who were getting ahead were results driven people. And I just didn't see the trust or respect. And I, there was just a selfishness out there in the industry that, that, that always seemed to bother me. Um, and I tried to, what I wanted to do was remain steadfast and do things what I considered the right way even though I saw people getting promoted over me and I didn't really like how, how they worked with people or, or, or they, I wouldn't call it backstabbing, but you know, they were looking out for number one instead of having a, a higher fiduciary responsibility for their company. And I got into this mode of, Ken, you're a nice guy. You work hard. You've got great ideas, but no. I, never under, I never understood the but. Yeah. Um, and then while all these egregious things were popping up in the news, when you had Enron and MCI WorldCom and all these things, what I really wanted to do is those egregious things are, are, are so obvious that people are doing things wrong. I, I really started looking at trying to start to focus on ethics uh, around working together and building a community with the people that you work with, because you spend more time with the people you work with than your family. So right. why not have a, a, a safe environment where people can work and there could be trust? So to me, the importance is trust and teamwork uh, because we all know that it takes a long time to build trust and a, a second to destroy it. Right. You know, so I think you know, with that, and, I, and, I, and the other thing that I saw throughout my career is when people struggled at their job and sometimes they just needed the support and sometimes you needed to recognize that the skill set and the job description maybe didn't align. And back in, back in the 80s and the 90s, I found too many conversations where people were talking about someone not being a good person because of their performance, not because of the person they were. You know, it's sort of like, well, did you hear about, you know, so-and-so, you know, they, they can't do that. And therefore, you know, they must be a, a bad human being. And all that stuff just started resonating with me to say, there's a right way to work with people in an ethical fashion where um, you, can, you, can you can really benefit from because all that other stuff never made sense to me. So as, as my responsibilities and staff grew, I really wanted to make sure that I treated people with the respect because I found that if you and I are working together, um, and we have a, a, a sound foundation of respect and we're working ethically together. I'm gonna to go the extra yard for you and you're gonna the extra yard for me. And it's gonna, it's just gonna, it's just gonna happen. Um, and I also wanted to rec a, a big advocate of recognizing that work life and home life overlap more than you realize. I was always a very big advocate of the work life balance. And I know some people come out and say, there's no such thing. I, I, I disagree with that. I think that there is, but I, but I think when you're, when you're dealing with people and you have the respect, for example, I had a woman work for me who came in one day, this is many years ago. Uh, and she, this is, I think it was May or June. And she says, Ken, I just want to let you know, uh, I may come in and, and be off a little bit. I'm trying to quit smoking. Uh, but I wanted to tell you that um, there's going to be some days that I'm off. 
And I really respected the fact that we had, were able to have that conversation. So I understood where she was. And I also wanted to figure out how I could help her. So I quickly turned to her and said, hey, I'll tell you what, it's May right now. If you can go Labor Day without smoking a cigarette, you can get two extra days vacation just between you and I. Let's just, let's just call it that. And she had her days of struggling, but I understood where she was coming from. I told her to take some days off here and there if she needed it. And lo and behold, Labor Day came and she took that Tuesday and Wednesday off after Labor Day. And I, and I just... It just resonated with me is, is that, again, it's, it's the respect of it. And I, and I, and I overlap that with ethics because you're, you're doing the right thing. And to me, ethics is, is really doing the right thing without anyone noticing it. You know, it's sort of like the, the golfer. You know, you, you can kick the ball in the rough and give yourself a good lie and no one will know, but <laughs> you will. Yeah. Um, so I've tried to focus on the human element um, and being a way to emphasize that ethics is something that you really need to do is pay attention to it every day. And if you're in that right mind and you're in the right environment, um, I think you know you get more out of your employees and the people you're working with. And and from the teaching that I've been doing, I uh, the organizational behavior and ethics is, I find that if people are happy with their work and they feel supported, they're less likely to be unethical. I think when you find now again when you're talking about the more tangible things around ethics, around lying and stealing and cheating and embezzling and, you know, that type of stuff, there are other factors, right? You know, uh, people can have personal issues, you know, that, that cause that. But I also think there's an intangible thing about it, uh, a way you treat people. And then we can have a whole side conversation about how COVID's changed all that. <laughs> Uh, I think with COVID is it's made what we, what I've just mentioned all the more important Mm. because I think people are beginning to realize that there's more to just getting up and commuting and going to the office and coming home. And I think there needs to be a way of helping people manage that. And again, that there, there's a, a bent of ethics and respect around that as well. What do you think that is? What do you think COVID is, has changed it? I, I, I think, I think it's because now you have the, the nine to five thing has kind of gone out the window and it's being able to have more trust in the people that you work with. And I think the companies that can adapt and pivot and work with their employees best, because I think people are finding out that there is more to life than the work. And I think the, I think you really need to really listen and hear what your employees are saying and what they're looking for, because the companies that do it well are going to be able to attract and retain it. You know, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've been working from home for two years now. I don't really have a desire <laughs> to commute back into New York City, even though it's just a quick train ride. But I think from a, from a COVID perspective, it's, it's just people are more aware. And I think we just need as management to be more aware of where people are in that on that line of what's what what, what works for them mm-hmm. and how do you think people you know because obviously working in financial services we've had some you know because i also work in the industry quite a bit myself as you know i mean we've had we've definitely had some ethical lapses right um in different areas what do you think gets what do you think knocks people off track what do you think takes people off track ethically um i think um 
You know, it's funny when I when I talk to my students when I teach, I, I have a slide where I kind of talk a little bit about you know you consider stealing someone's Wi-Fi unethical if you take something from the supermarket and don't return it is unethical, and I kind of go through it and what I try to get to is say okay you may not return the pack of gum but if it's something more expensive would you you know not return it and then we start talking about is there a price to ethics I think. For the for the most part, I think a lot of people who are, uh, who um, who behave unethically do a couple of things. One is they rationalize their behavior. Mm-hmm. It's really it's kind of a gray area. I don't I think it's really I think it's okay. I don't really think it's that bad. Or I I, I do that, but it's also you do have people who live beyond their means and maybe unfortunately have you know some addictions or have certain things that control them that they, they, they struggle with that caused them to do that. But I think it's more of the, the grayness of it where people, and I, always, I also tell my students, just do the mom test. If you can sit at the kitchen table drinking a cup of coffee with your mom or the equivalent of that person in your life, that's your mom, mm-hmm. um, and tell them to their face what you're doing and you're not squirming in your chair, chances are that you're probably doing something that's okay. But if you're squirming, you know, there is. So I think there's the big thing is, is that it's very, very easy to um, rationalize. But also, I think people get what I call the hamster trail. They just get up and do the same thing every day. It's rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden they start talking to a few people. And again, it's it's not that bad. I've rationalized it and I'm OK with it. Mm, interesting. How do your students respond to this whole topic in general? Is it something people are super interested in? Is it, how does it resonate with them? I think it resonates more now than it did 10 years, 10, 11 years ago when I, when I started teaching the course, hmm. uh, the ethics course. I, I think it's because there is this the social media. And, I, and, I, and the other story I kind of tell people is I delivered newspapers when I was 12 years old. So if you think about it, on Monday afternoon, I would leave school, get on my bike with the big basket, I go pick up my newspapers. So at five o'clock, I am delivering on Monday, Sunday's news, right? Because it was printed this morning, and it was yesterday's news. So there might have been something in the news that someone's reading about six o'clock on Monday night that could have happened Sunday morning. Now I always tell my students, well, if something happens at nine o'clock on Sunday morning, when does the world find out about it? Nine oh one, nine oh two, you know, the things is is so out there. So I think over the years with the the development and the use of social media, uh, and everybody being an author, you know, mm-hmm. and being able to publish things. So, and you you also have the issue of whether or not things are being published or truthful or not because there's no, you know. Uh, no one is really looking at second and third sources and making sure for confirmation. So I think 10, 12, 15 years ago when social media wasn't around, it wasn't um, under a microscope as it is now. So if you do something, and I always tell my students, you know, I I worked for um, the Blackstone Group for many, many years, and the CEO of that company, Stephen Schwartzman, always used to say, I don't want to be on the cover of the Times or the Journal. You know, that, so let's make sure we're doing things the right way. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the same way here is, but now it's social media and it's happening much, much quicker. So I think people are more attuned and you also don't know who's holding a camera when you're out in the public. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone is so sensitive about trying to do things. I think it's really, um, really brought it to light that, you know, my students now are much, much more into and understanding the need to be ethical in what you're doing because of the concentration of, of how news gets spread these days. Oh, that's so interesting. So, um, so what do you think out of all of this, you know, when you look back, because you know, 34 years, <laughs> and I are about in the same book. Uh, what, do, what do you think really all of this experience has done to kind of shape um, your values and, and shape, you know, the way you look back on, on your career? Yeah. So first of all, my values, the way I look at my values is my values has always been my family is first. You yeah. know, I, my wife and I have raised three kids. They're adults now. That's always been my number one priority. And I've, I've never I've always tried not to lose sight of that. Um, but I've always felt that over the years, if you do things and have the ethical lens to it, um, you're always going to be making sound decisions. And A, I want to make my family proud. I want to be able to look into my kids' eyes mm-hmm. and explain to them that what I'm doing is right. Um, and, I, and I've learned that um, you have to be aware all the time. You can't fall asleep at the wheel. It has to be... Ethics needs to be part of your DNA. It just has to be natural. And, and, and some of the things that I find with companies that I, that I don't see is, is that, for instance, when you do a mid-year and year-end evaluation, if you're an employee, mm-hmm. I don't see things like ethics in the evaluation of a person. Mm-hmm. It's, did they get their, their, their accomplishments done? You know, um, you know, are they getting along with people, you know, or, you know, and stuff like that. But there's nothing there that talks about are they are they in, in the right community? Are they are they in the right uh, ethical mind? And is that something that's in the forefront? And I think you've got to lead by example. And a, a lot of people and a lot of my students say, but listen, I work for a company of 60,000 people. How am I going to make a difference? And I tell them is you make a difference by the, your behavior and how you perform ethically just with the people around you. And you just can, can control only around you. And I think if you and I work together and we get, you know, we have that thing and you start working with somebody else and I work something else, it's kind of that six degrees of separation thing. It may not go all the way out to the broader of the company, but it will be within the realm of your work. Mm-hmm. And I think if you lead by example and you show people the right way um, and you can get people to start thinking about that. And you've got a lot of people who are young and impressionable who, you know, you know, want to make the big buck and you try to tell them is that's not what it's all about. You know, the, the money will come if you do the right thing and you work hard. But, I'll, but I think, being able to live with yourself and look in the mirror to say, am I doing it the right way is where I think a lot of people really need to, you know, focus on. And that's where I, where I go. And every choice that I've made in my life, I've always tried to take that ethical angle. And again, it's difficult because, you know, from a utilitarian standpoint is, you know, 
Sometimes you're only helping the majority and someone is still not going to be happy with a decision that you make. But I think if you explain to people why you made the decision, they will hopefully be able to absorb it and accept it a little bit more than just making a decision and not telling them why. So when I look back, I don't have any regrets about always trying to lead by example. I think another important thing is checking your ego at the door. Mm -hmm. Very difficult for some people. There's mm -hmm. a lot of insecure people who like to do that. But I think I've learned, not that I've, I felt that I've had a big ego, but sometimes you have, I have to stop myself um, to say, let me check that and continue to promote that team-oriented approach. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that in your world of working, you can make a big difference. And the, and the, and the other thing is, is that showing respect is just too easy not to do. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's sort of like just just it it just it just works, <laughs> you know, from my standpoint. And, and what I mean, obviously this must be a big thing in your consulting, right? I mean, how do your clients um, react to this? Is is it obviously they're pretty receptive or or what has been the experience around? I think it? it depends on the client. And one of the reasons why I became an independent is is because I would like to be working with organizations that are either doing it already or be open to it. Mm -hmm. You know, I've worked with clients and I'm sure you have worked with clients where you, you, you close your laptop at the end of the day and just say, you know, I don't know how they don't, they continue to get into each other's way. Mm -hmm. You know, I, and I've worked for companies in the past where, you know, they were in the press a lot and it just boggles my mind that there were adults sitting in a room deciding that this was a good idea. <laughs> you know, we've, we've, ra I've rationalized that. Yes. I know we were, we were in, we're on the cover of the times of the journal um, and it blew up in our face, but at some point someone made a decision that I'm okay with it. And I rationalized it. Mm -hmm. And that's the organizations where at this stage in my career, I don't need to bother with. I mean, I would love to go in and help those organizations maybe turn themselves around a little bit. And again, but that really has to start at the top. You know, that's the senior management really needs to be able to be um, open to it. And again, they have to lead by example. Talk, and it sounds cliche-ish, talk is cheap. You yep. can say until you're blue in the face, but until you see the people who are your senior management doing it, yeah, your, your people are not gonna change their behavior. Cool. Good stuff. So anything else you would add to those uh, leaders who are trying to kind of get their, their employees sort of ethically focused? Any other advice you could give? No, I mean, like I said, I, I, I think it's just, I think it's talking about it. Mm -hmm. You know, don't sweep it under the rug. Um, make it part of your day-to-day -day conversations with people about, you know, any, because every decision that you make, mm -hmm you know, you've got to have that lens on, you know, around, uh, around what, what you're doing, you know, whether it's, you know, I'm going to reorganize my department or I'm making a decision. Do I do a, or do I do B, you know? And the other thing is, is that be a leader um, that recognize you don't have all the answers, mm -hmm. leverage the people. Like I always tell people hire people that are smarter than you. Yeah. Right. And hire, but, but more importantly, I think, the interview process, I think, is even more important now is because if you think about it, you're 
basing a hiring decision on what, a half hour, 45 minutes, an hour of a conversation. Um, and it's hard to check references because no one gives a bad reference. Right. You know, um, so the question is, is how do you interview and how do you decide that the people that you're bringing in are, are, are have the same DNA around ethics that you want to be and have within your organization? Very, very difficult. But I think, um, you know, taking a pause and, and looking around at your employees and getting other people involved in the interview process that have the same belief system, then the more people are who are uh, who are meeting this person, you can make you know, better decision. So it's the interviewing it, but to more, more importantly, I think it's just the really, the leading by example. Got it. Is the important thing. Yep. Got it. Great. Well, thank you so much, Ken Schlechter for coming on the Globecast. Well, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. My pleasure.